Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here. Uh, we thank you for having that privilege when uh, in so many places, not only down through history, but right now, our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, do not have uh, this privilege. Father, help us to cherish it uh, as we're not sure how long uh, we will have it. But Father, we ask that uh, through your word you would speak to us, that you would truly edify us, build us up in our faith in Jesus Christ. We ask in his name, amen. We're in uh, 1 Peter. Most uh, students of First Peter recognized that uh, it's a book that uh, really deals with the subject of suffering, uh, suffering for Christ. And so it's a, a book about being prepared or preparation for uh, suffering for Christ. It's, um, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around well, maybe I should just speak for myself. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around what really that would be like to be tortured for Christ or every uh, pain in my life that I've been involved in, I either signed up for or was a result of health, health issues. And... Um, I, I couldn't get out of those, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, there was no way out, but we look at believers down through history, and one of the unique things about suffering for Christ is oftentimes there's a way out provided not by Christ and not by the Lord, but by the enemy. And I say, just, just deny Jesus Christ and it'll be fine. And so you get my point that I've never had that way out, you know what I mean? Uh, and, but I know that uh, pain can be really something. And it can just, just about blot everything else out uh, of your mind uh, when it's really, really intense. So here beginning, let me read from verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, remember the early church, the Jewish part of the church especially, uh, were scattered uh, from Jerusalem, Samaria, and out into these other places, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And then it starts this uh, line of uh, truth who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Isn't it interesting that 
This book on suffering, preparation for suffering, starts off with the whole trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and their, each one's place or work or design in our salvation. And you know, it says to me, I believe it says to all of us, uh, our understanding of the depth of what God did to save us is what would carry us during some really rough times. You know, um, I'm afraid that uh, too often when we start reading words like foreknowledge, chosen, sanctifying, obey, sprinkled, we don't we don't give them the proper uh, study that we should. We, we just say, oh, those words, yeah, those are big words. I remember those, those are, yeah, some of those are in first part of Romans. And, and, and I think too many of us just, oh, that's, that's doctrine. Why do we need that? I know Jesus loves me. And, I'm going to keep coming back to this question. Why did God put this? Why did God put these things here and in so many other places again and again and again? If they weren't important for us to not only apprehend but live with as our reality. You know, this is this is huge. And having not maybe been in too much of a storm yet, we might not see how important these things are uh, when, you know, I said last time, I was talking about what happens when everything gets swept away? What happens when your friends are gone, your family's gone, um, your health is gone, uh, maybe you're under somebody else's uh, domain, so to speak, uh, maybe in jail for Christ or... Uh, something along those lines. Um, what's going to maintain you? You know, uh, that's a big question. Okay, so um, we haven't moved too quickly, and we were last time just looking at some verses pertaining to by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We looked at the. Uh, work of the Holy Spirit is promised in John 16. But now let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, where Paul addressing the Thessalonians says this, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because, notice, here we go again, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. 
through sanctification by the Spirit, and what happens when the Spirit does that work, and faith in the truth. Okay, so here we, again, we have uh, the work uh, of God the Father, um, and faith in the truth, with Jesus Christ is the, uh, the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, faith in Jesus Christ, in other words. Uh, so again, the Godhead is, um, is here. Uh, now, uh, then let's go to verse 14, and it was for this. He called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. How important to realize uh, what we're headed for. What uh, I, I uh, you know, we were talking about uh, Deacon, and uh, what do you think it was like for him, <laughs> you know, to step into the, the, these realms that we, we study about, we read about, but we have so little uh, inclination as to, I mean, you, uh, I'm convinced you will never be blown away like you will be blown away <laughs> when you uh, enter into uh, this place called glory and the glory of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's one other passage that I, uh, I this passage was huge in my uh, grappling with this whole area of uh, sanctification, really election and uh, foreknowledge and so forth. But let's go to Acts chapter 16. And of course, Luke is telling about an event with um, uh, the apostle Paul and those that were with him and uh, so we want to start in verse 13. It says this, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate. Now they're in uh, Philippi, by the way. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside. <laughs> I like this. Where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. They'd done this enough that they looked at it and said, this, this might be, this is kind of place where uh, people come to pray. And so, uh, that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. You know, when I read that, I. Why are the women so often much more responsive than the men? You know what I mean? It's just, we must be a bunch of wimps that we're not leading and being what we should be as, as men. But Paul's speaking with the women who had assembled and a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. She's, you know, it's clear to me that God is already at work there, but she doesn't have the 
she doesn't know really the gospel, okay? And so a worshiper of God was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. That's a powerful statement. That, that's, that verse really was instrumental in my understanding of that this work has to be of God. He's the one that's, uh, you know, I always used to, I love that, you know, who pulls the trigger on salvation? And pretty clear that uh, the Lord pulls the trigger. We're still responsible. We'll be dealing with that further on uh, down the road here. But, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, wouldn't you like all the details on that? Okay. There's a huge movement that's taken place here. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Immediately after that, we have this slave girl and the, you know, the heading to, uh, into jail by, uh, by Paul and Silas. Okay, now back to First um, Peter. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, verse 2, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit has to be at work. This is what we are praying for, what we're hopeful for as we present the gospel, that the person who's hearing the gospel, that the Holy Spirit will work in them, and this will make sense, instead of uh, them saying, oh, that's foolishness, okay. which we often uh, in one way or another, come up against. Okay, so, goes on and it says that you may obey, I'm back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. I think oftentimes people don't realize that the gospel's a command. The gospel is God's. It's not just, uh, well, you know, whatever you want here. Doesn't matter a whole lot. Just make a good decision here. Uh, the gospel is a command from God. And how could it be anything else? Because he always speaks truth. There's, there's no reason to ignore what he says because his words are truth, okay? So let's look at this concept of obedience, which we find uh, in other places in scripture. Hebrews chapter five. And Hebrews five, we have this amazing statement, speaking of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse eight. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. That verse is always just kind of hit you right in the 
solar plexus. It's basically saying if the humanity of Jesus Christ learned experientially obedience through the things that he suffered, what about me? And really, you don't have a test of obedience until it involves some suffering. You know what I mean by that? I mean, if it's just easy, 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 if it's always what you want to do, then how much of a test is that? You know, but when it comes down to those things that are hard, those things that take us outside of our box, you know what I mean by that? All of us have these, these places where, well, I'm comfortable right up to here, but no way am I stepping over into this area because that just scares me to death. Okay. Well, might be that that might be a, 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 good, a good place to go, but goes on and it says although he was a son he learned obedience from the things which he suffered and having been made perfect uh, he became to all those who what? Who obey him the source of eternal salvation. And you know you think, I think of it this way um, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ in obedience to the command, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, that's your first step of obedience, opening up a door to obedience for the rest of your life. Perfect obedience? No. Okay. But all of a sudden you go to, I want to do what he wants me to do. It's the only thing that matters. You know, when you realize that this is the God of the universe who created everything there is, and he holds your life in his hands, and you're going to spend forever with him, and you, you know, I look and I say, you know, it kind of makes me laugh, but I got these new hearing aids, which I really like. At any rate, we're talking to the lady, she was, she was a believer, and she says, um, well, make sure that you call that you send in to get these hearing aids, the batteries changed just before three years. And I laughed and I said, that's a long ways out for me. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife says, how are we going to ever remember that anyway? You know, just, it just made me laugh. We only have a, a limited amount of time. And then we go into eternity that never ends. That never, ever ends ends, you know, and, and eternity is not about you, and it's not about me, it's about Jesus Christ and God and, and the, the beauty of who, who the Trinity is and all the ways that we're going to experience that without end forever and ever and ever. All of those things that we have, not much of an ability to wrap our minds around. Okay. Then, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. 1 Peter 4, 17. Peter says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those, notice, 
who do not obey the gospel of God. Powerful statement. And then, and if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, you think of the plan of salvation and the work of God and the fact that, you know, I've read about it, I've studied it, I've heard it a thousand times, probably. And but how can it be that God himself was willing to become a man, the God-man, lay aside all that he had forever and ever and ever, without end the other way? How, how, can, that, how can that be? You know, it's just, and if it is with difficulty that, 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 that the Son of God would become a man, and then become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Staggering. And, and more than that, that he would bear the sins of the world. He who knew no sin was made sin on our behalf. You know, he took, took our sins on himself and suffered the, died for them, suffered the wrath of God. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Okay, then 2 Thessalonians chapter one. And we'll start in verse six. Verse six. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those, get this, to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Okay. And these, what a tragedy. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You know, that... I take that as a, a wonderful revelation of the very essence of heaven. Okay, what's it going to be like? You know, I don't want to be trite or anything, but the streets of gold or whatever, you know, the, the things that are described in, uh, in Revelation there, those are all wonderful because of who? because of God, because of Jesus Christ, and, and the light shining through all that translucence and all the things that go on there. Notice, and these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. You know, I, I spent, and, and rightfully so, I spent a major part of my life that 
Um, the tragedy of hell was the suffering of hell. You know, the, and I can't wrap my mind on a, around all of that, but, but it's, it's real, it's, it's presented uh, over and over in scripture. Um, and I, I really hadn't really thought about what about the other side of what's being missed for the person who is in hell? You get, in other words, we, we don't have, we don't go to hell because of what Jesus Christ did, but think of the plus of what we get, which is described here. We look at it correctly. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Notice, away from the presence of the Lord. We won't be away from the presence of the Lord. And we won't be away from the glory of his power. How's he, how's he going to manifest that power? I mean, if, is, it, is he just going to talk about it? I don't think so. I think we're going to see the, this power displayed uh, in ways that we, we can't even believe. And what, if, if, I keep coming back to this, there's, this creation that we're in, that is in so many ways ruined by sin, and yet it's magnificent. Do you know what I mean? Any, I don't care what you study. You study it, you're going to find out these things are wonderful, wonderful. So what is heaven going to be like? Where I have to use terminology of time, day after day, you know. Uh, uh, it's going to be, he says, I'm making all things new. You think that'll be worth it? You think that'll astound you? And, and most importantly, you think that will fill you up? like I've never been filled up, ever, not even close. When he comes to be, verse 10, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, and here's a, I love this one, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. I think that marveling is going to go on unabated throughout all eternity. To, mar to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was, uh, was believed. And then um, 1 John, it's a little bit different aspect of this, but 1 John chapter 5, you know, we're talking about the seriousness of not obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to start first, uh, first John chapter 5, uh, verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, you know, we, we do this all the time. Do you know what I mean? In other words, we, we, uh, somebody calls us up and says there's a wreck up on Highway 6 and they close the road. 
or you don't go up there and look. <laughs> you know, you, you say, oh, okay, thank you. You know, um, and we do that all the time. There's a storm coming, you know, even though sometimes they're kind of wrong. <laughs> but we still listen, you know, and we still say, well, I better get out there and do this and do that. And if there's going to be a lot of wind and so forth, we, we, we take the witness uh, of men, okay? And so um, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his son. I love that. The, the first witness is God's spoken about this. And then it says, the one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. For, for anybody that stands before God on, at the great white throne judgment, uh, they're all there having done what? It's all the lost, the dead, the great and the small, the ones who never got life, uh, eternal life through faith in Christ. And uh, they've all done what? They've all called God, called God a liar. They've said, you're a liar. Because <laughs> they didn't believe in the witness uh, that he bore concerning his son. And then it says, and the witness is this, verse 11, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life, and he who does not have the son of God does not have the life. Okay. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay. All right. Then, uh, let's come. We're back in Peter. And the next phrase is, uh, after that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Remember, Peter is, is the, uh, the apostle to the circumcision or to the Jews. And it takes us right back to the Old Testament and the tremendous picture we have there of the sprinkling of the blood. Let's go to Exodus 24. And Exodus 24, we're going to start in verse 3. Then Moses came, uh, this is after and up on Mount Sinai. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. What are they saying? We're in. We're going to do it. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the sons of Israel and he offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. And we're not told how many. I think it was substantial. Okay. And so it goes on and it says, And Moses took half of the blood 
and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar that, that he just built. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, again, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Okay? Notice what Moses did. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, covenant, which the Lord has made with you, you agreed to it, okay? Behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all these words, okay? Now we have a great explanation of that in Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews nine. I'll start in 15. And for this reason, he, Jesus Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant in order that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, and you might think of that word, it helps to have the idea of a will also, because it says, for where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. That's what the Old Testament uh, sprinkling of the blood was about. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. We just read that. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. Do you ever, do you ever think of that? <laughs> you went around these, had to, you know, think of it as a long paintbrush and dipping it in the, in the basin and sprinkling all. And when you go back and you look at every place that is sprinkled in the Old Testament with blood, things that were beautiful, you know, the, the, the beautiful uh, clothing, that's not the robes of, of the priesthood sprinkled with blood, the, the tabernacle, walls and so forth, sprinkled with blood. Blood sprinkled everywhere. Okay. All right. Let me pick it up in verse 20. Saying, when he was sprinkling uh, the book itself and all the people, Moses is saying, verse 20, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heaven to be cleansed with these, 
but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, like the earthly tabernacle, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And it came in having what? Having shed his blood, and he's alive. Okay, so he's been resurrected, he's borne our sins, and just his fact of being there is a declaration that uh, his, I, I'm of the persuasion that he didn't carry a, a bowl of his own blood into heaven, but just his being there was proof that uh, he had uh, shed, his, shed his blood, having been dead and, and then raised up uh, from the dead. Okay, so nor was it that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now I love this. But now once at the consummation, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay. And then let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, 22. This is talking about the personages, I guess we could say, that we're going to meet in heaven. It says this, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, tens of thousands of tens of thousands of angels, okay? To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, that's the body of Christ, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. I believe that's a reference to the Old Testament saints and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and then, get this, and to the sprinkled blood. Oh, why is all this available to us? <laughs> because we come under that concept of we're in the new covenant, and it was ordained by the work of Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed, and it's pictured as, and we have come into this uh, sprinkled blood, and then it says this, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So there's two ways people go with that, because there were two aspects of uh, that you could say, well, uh, God said uh, after Cain killed Abel, his blood is calling out to me from the ground. Okay. Is that what it's talking about? I don't think it is. I think it's speaking of that the New Covenant, the blood of Christ, speaks better than the Old Covenant blood that, that Moses put on the people and on the law and, and, uh, and so forth. Okay. And to Jesus, the mediator of a New Covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. 
All right, I'm going to stop there. Father, we thank you for the blood of the new covenant and this great picture that we've been sprinkled, brought into the covenant with you through the death of your son and his resurrection on our behalf. Father, how we thank you for these things. Uh, may they be cemented in our thinking. May we think about these all the time, Father, we ask in, in Jesus' name. Amen.